The information provided in podcast eligible and accompanying material is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered tax or financial advice. You should consult with your financial or tax professional to determine what works best for your individual needs. You're tuning in to Podcast Eligible, a staying healthy and saving money with an FSA or HSA podcast. Hello and welcome everyone to Podcast Eligible. Uh, my name is Sean Haft, I'm your host. Um, we haven't talked in quite a while. Um, a lot of big changes on the podcast over the past few months. Um, first and foremost, um, my longtime co-host, uh, Kevin Olatan, has moved to the West Coast and uh, unfortunately won't, won't be joining us uh, for the foreseeable future. We may sneak him in here as a special guest in the future, but um, it's a new generation of podcasts eligible. Um, I have a new co-host, um, my good friend Brad Bortone. Um, he's the editor of our FSA and HSA Learning Centers, um, and he's been getting into the weeds with FSA and HSA topics uh, over the past, my goodness, a year, two years now? Two years. My goodness. So I'm uh, really happy to have him aboard, and uh, hope y'all can join me in welcoming Brad. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. You know, I've been on the fringe of all this content forever because I'm working with all the writers and trying to get all that expertise out to our readers, but it's, it's about time you put a voice behind that little face that shows up under the articles. <laughs> uh, like 80% of said articles. So, um, definitely glad to have Brad in today. Um, our, so our first topic that we wanted to cover uh, now that we're back is, uh, it is Getting towards the end of September now, it's open enrollment season, and um, you know, for, for us in the benefits world, we're excited about this time of year. It's um, you know a chance to um, elect new benefits. Um, there's all sorts of different changes on the company level, I'm sure, with uh, wherever you're at. Um, and but by and large, it's not a very enjoyable thing for most um, working professionals. So uh, there was a a study that came out this week by a marketing research firm called Engine that surveyed a thousand different adults and um, <laughs> two, two stats that came out of this that kind of illustrate how much people dread open enrollment is uh, one in four people are more likely to bring up their mental health <laughs> with friends <laughs> than discuss their finances or employee benefits which really kind of shows that like it's Maybe not that it's a taboo topic, but it's just like, that is the last thing I want to talk about. I think, it's a, I think it's got to do with the level of like personal information you have to put out there. Yeah. I think if you're talking about your mental health with strangers rather than t- discussing your open enrollment, it's probably because open enrollment covers your mental health and all of your other physical things. No, but this is likely to bring up your mental health with friends. Okay. So, like, these are people you trust. So, even with people you trust talking about your deep, like, mental health, like, things that, that have been on your mind, you're still more likely to talk about that than employee benefits and finances. So, I don't know about you, but I, I find solace in the comfort of strangers. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're most, most often a good, a good sounding word. So, um, and then another uh, stat that was a bit crazy in, in this that we're hoping to correct today is um, one in five of the respondents, both men and women, um, say they only spend a few minutes reviewing their benefits um, that are offered by their employer before making a decision. So, obviously, if you have a plan that's working for you, then, you know, re-upping um, really quickly makes some sense. But... I really think like 
people need to take a step back and really um, analyze what their benefits do and how they affect their their finances. Um, and if you're um, thinking of enrolling in FSA or HSA, there's a lot of things that you should do beforehand that we kind of want to really cover. So um, today we're going to just really try and give you some guidance on how to have a successful <clears throat> open enrollment um, as an FSA or HSA user. And uh, I think first and foremost, we want to start off with uh, contributions. So. You know, the, the biggest benefit of an HSA is, uh, or FSA and HSA, other than, you know, being able to buy thousands of different products and being able to cover a lot of, um, you know, expected healthcare expenses is the tax benefit that you get from it. So um, the biggest benefit of, a, of an FSA or an HSA is the reducing your taxable income. So for uh, this coming year, I was about to say 2017. For 2020, wow. um, I don't know what year I'm worth living in right now, but for 2020, the FSA contribution limit, we expect it to be 2750. It was 2700 for 2019. The IRS hasn't released the official guidance yet, but we have it on pretty good authority that it's going to be 2750 for the coming year. Well, if history dictates. Yes. It's, it's been a $50 jump for individuals, $100 for families almost every year for pretty much the last 10, 20. Yeah. Yeah, pretty so, much. So pretty much since the advent of the account. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go out on a limb and assume that it's a $50 jump. And if they make it $75, you can reach us at complaints at... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I really hope we don't have to start a... Uh, Helpline for the park podcast. <laughs> so, um, in addition to um, uh, HSA limits, have been officially uh, released, and those have climbed to uh, thirty-five fifty on an individual level and seventy-one hundred for families. Again, a very predictable number. Yeah. So, again, jumped about fifty bucks. So, you know, in in most cases. Uh, or actually in all cases, um, the more you set aside, uh, the bigger your tax benefit is going to be. But you don't want to set aside too much so that you're kind of straining your finances or you don't have enough medical expenses to really cover with that amount. Sean, that's one of the biggest questions we get over at the Learning Center, people commenting on articles on, on social media and everything. They want to know, you know, what if I'm new to FSAs or HSAs? I just opened one of these accounts. You know, how much should I put in? And obviously, we can come back to them and say, hey, you know, it's a case-by-case -case basis. It's an mm -hmm. individual thing. You do what you're comfortable with. But I think there's an extra level of guidance there. I, do you recommend, you know, contributing as much as they feasibly can do right out of the gate and then work backwards to find that sweet spot? Or do you feel that this is something where you dip your toes in the water, do a little bit, and then each year get a little bit bigger as your income possibly grows? I think you... You kind of have to figure out what's most financially feasible for you, um, and you know, in some cases, uh, taking a look at, at your past year's medical expenses is a really good guide for that. So, um, you know, say you spent like seven hundred dollars last year on everything from uh, co-payments to specialist visits to physicals, uh, over-the-counter medications, everything like that. Um, that can give you like a good baseline for how much you should set aside. So I think for most people who are starting off with an FSA uh, or an HSA, I probably wouldn't do the full contribution. I would start with something that's 
a bit more in line with your finances so you can get into the swing of things of using the account and gradually work your way up. So we have a, a two really helpful tools on FSA Store and HSA Store. On FSA, we have the FSA calculator. And I think that's helpful for um, newbies and longtime account holders alike because you can break out how much you're expected to really spend on each category, be it you know co-payments and uh, over-the-counter products and things like that. And it'll give you an estimated amount of what you should be setting aside for the coming year. Um, the HSA future value calculators is a little bit different. It kind of allows you to put in the same sorts of metrics, but it also gives you a longitudinal long-term picture of um, where your finances will be over uh, the long term because HSA funds roll over from year to year. So it's a bit different type of account management to do that. So, you know, and, you know, I think if, if you overestimate, that's not a bad thing either because there's, um, you know, I, if you have like a thousand dollars to spend at the end of the year, yeah, that, that could be tough, but. And you're talking about FSAs. Yes. Um, and you know, if, either one really, because um, if you have um, a big chunk of money to spend at the end of the year, that's the perfect time to you know um, line up some doctor's visits uh, to that you may be putting off. Um, there's like a huge selection of products that you can use to uh, uh, spend down the, those funds at the end of the year. But if you have an HSA, you can just continue rolling it over from year to year. Um, so I think that's really a big. Uh, thing to keep in mind. Um, well, what if I have an FSA and I have an extensive amount of money mm-hmm. left over at the end of the year and there's just no reasonable way for me to spend it? Mm-hmm. You know, staying within IRS guidelines for FSA spending, you know, you can't just stockpile things. Okay, It's, yeah. fr- it's frowned upon. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure people do it, but we don't recommend it. Okay, what, what I'm saying is if I've got all this extra money, what are my options? I know that there's the grace period and the rollover. Could you give me a little... Uh, yeah, little so... Grace period and the rollover are two uh, big things that you should know if you're an FSA user. Um, it, these are two options that your employer can choose. They can choose one, but not both. Um, and the grace period is essentially if, uh, if, say your deadline is December 31st this year, uh, the grace period gives you <clears throat> two and a half months to spend your remaining funds. So that would be March 15th. Um, the rollover is uh, your effectively allowed to roll over up to $500 of your remaining FSA funds into your next year's account. So that gives you a nice cushion at the end of the year uh, to be able to, to do that. You basically have to find out from your employer whether or not those are in place. Um, you know, some, some offices will, won't have any of those, uh, uh, what do we call it, uh, fail safes in place to help you out. Um, some do. So that's a really important piece of information to know. Um, so that's, uh, definitely something you should uh, check with your HR department or uh, your benefits administrator to find if those uh, regulations are in place. And uh, just a little bit of advice for newcomers. Uh, I only started using flexible spending accounts a few years ago. No, it wasn't just because I joined the company. I did. <laughs> but I only started dabbling in them a couple of years ago. And what I learned is even though that it's great that they've got these options in place to make sure that people don't lose their funds, it was really best for me as a new account holder uh, to still budget for the year. Mm-hmm. And to try to stay within that deadline. Because not only was it better for month-to-month budgeting, but it also, when it came time to tally receipts, you know, after the grace period deadline, I was still having trouble determining when purchases were made. 
mm-hmm. things got a little more confused. So it's incredibly awesome that they've got the rollover and, and grace period options, but we do recommend trying, at least in the beginning. Once you become an expert, you know, after reading our learning centers and all our awesome writers there, <laughs> uh, we do recommend you, you budget for the year. That's yeah, it. and if, if you're curious about an FSA or HSA, our FSA and HSA learning centers, uh, it's fsastore.com slash learn and hsastore.com slash learn. Um, we have a full slate of writers who are covering these accounts from every possible angle. Um, and uh, actually, one of them is our good friend, uh, Zina Kumak, who met me at um, the FinCon conference a few weeks ago. And uh, we sat down and talked about um, how pe- uh, HSA users specifically should prepare for open enrollment. Zina, with open enrollment coming, um, what changes do you anticipate making um, with your own benefits? And what do you think people should keep in mind uh, with this season coming around? You know, I think it's the most important thing is to tailor your plan to fit your life. So you hear a lot of people talk about open HSA, you know, max it out. But if that's not the best thing for you, if you're um, if you're about to have like major medical procedures, maybe you don't need an HSA specific plan. Maybe you're end up you're going to end up paying more. So what I always tell people is every year is going to be different. Um, maybe you get lucky and all you need is a physical and an HSA plan is great because you can stash that money away and get a nice tax deduction out of it. So I always tell people like evaluate what the coming year might look like. Um, if you think for a family that maybe is going to have a baby, you know, maybe you do want an HSA to, to get that tax deduction. Um, if you think that you're just going to, like maybe you've had some medical issues, but now you're on the right track, maybe you you can benefit from an HSA. So I always say that you should try to forecast as much as possible and just see what's what's going to happen in your life. Oh, that's great. Um, I guess in terms of some sort of pitfalls that people could fall into both during standard open enrollment and with an HSA, what are, what are some of the mistakes that people should be avoiding? I think um, what I see a lot is people who think they have an HSA eligible plan or they think it's a high deductible because it seems higher than it's uh, mm-hmm. they've ever had before and then they discover that it's not in fact eligible and maybe they're contributing to an HSA that they had before um, but then they discover that their plan wasn't eligible and that can create some unnecessary fines and fees so I think always verify you know look at the latest IRS numbers um, call the plan directly, call your insurance company provider directly to verify. You know, it's it takes a lot of work, but, um, you know, you should always verify the information you have and not just go by a gut feeling or that, okay, well, I think this plan is eligible or, I, you know, it, it seems like it should be. Or last year my company offered an HSA-eligible plan, so it should be the same this year. You know, the rules change on a regular basis. The IRS is always updating stuff every year. So just make sure, um, and same thing if you're contributing, you know, the contribution amounts also increase every year. So you should be aware of that because, you know, that's um, a free tax deduction you could be missing out on if you can afford to contribute the max. That is all great advice. Um, so on a personal note, um, we, <laughs> the, uh, 23andMe is uh, now eligible for HSA spending and, and other forms of genetic testing. Um, and... Uh, I think we've uh, wrote some articles in the past where we've covered this. And uh, where do you think uh, the market for this is uh, heading in the tax-free healthcare market, specifically in terms of genetic testing? 
Well, you know, genetic testing, I think, is becoming so much more prevalent, specifically, I think, with um, BRCA or BRCA testing, um, because the patent for that expired, and so now the testing is much more affordable, and 23andMe and other companies allow you to do it, and normally you've had to pay out of pocket, and now that you can use your HSA funds, I think it's going to encourage a lot more people to do it, because I think they're going to see okay, well, you know, it, it won't hurt, and I maybe I had the money stashed away anyway, so let me just find out what it is. And I think people want to take their health into their own hands, and they want to be proactive. And nowadays, you can get tested for things like an Alzheimer's marker. So I think things like that, like people want to be aware of what's maybe coming down the pipeline, and maybe that can help them plan for, well, maybe I can get an HSA for a few years and really stockpile that money and... Um, and plan ahead now that I have this genetic information at my fingertips. That's a great point. Um, well, thank you so much, Zena, for uh, talking with us today. Um, can you let our listeners know how they can find you? Uh, just one of the brightest minds uh, writing in personal finance today. Thanks, Sean. You can find me at Conscious Coins, my personal finance blog, where I do coaching one-on-one. That's ConsciousCoins.com. And if you want to see my portfolio and what else I'm writing, that's www.zenakumak.com. Thank you so much. Yay! That's a great clip. So just to clarify what Zena just said, not all services from 23andMe are eligible. However, any information used for tracking markers for potential health issues are eligible. Thankfully, the company now offers a free calculator to help determine the amount you can claim uh, with your FSA or HSA. She's a great writer, honestly. Again, her name is Zena Kumak, and you can find her work dating back two years almost since we uh, relaunched the Learning Center. Again, that's fsastore.com slash learn and hsastore.com slash learn. Uh, all of our writers are outstanding, and I'm not just saying that because I'm their editor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you, Nita, for uh, spending some time with me a few weeks ago. Um, our, our next, in to moving on from contributions, um, another a key thing to keep in mind for open enrollment are uh, qualifying life events, yeah. which is a very clinical way of saying like big events that happen in your life. <laughs> so, um, you know, in addition to kind of planning for medical expenditures, um, you know, changes in, in your life are also going to change what you contribute, um, what sort of plan you're going to elect and can really kind of change a lot of your calculus during open enrollment, so don't call it calculus. <laughs> it's so intimidating. Your 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 picking stuff, whatever. <laughs> um, so give me some examples. I mean, so some of them are, are easy. Are, are easy. So if if you got married over the past year, that's going to change how what sort of health plan you're going to have. If you have a baby on the way, or if you got a baby over, over the past year, that's a huge expenditure that you need to keep in mind. Um, one that a lot of people are, are still getting adjusted to, even um, years after the passage of the ACA, is um, you know if you have a child who's on your health plan when they're in their early 20s, that they're aging past that over the next year, you're going to have to figure out their coverage or how um, you know how that's going to change uh, what you're paying. Um, Additionally, if you have an, um, an, el- an elderly dependent, an adult dependent, um, you know, if it's a, a parent who needs um, at-home health care or someone that you um, cover the health care needs of who's an adult dependent, that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, another thing that we always try and bring up are also FSA and HSA cards. So if um, your FSA and HSA will cover the uh, expenses of your spouse and qualifying dependents, 
but you can also give them an FSA or HSA card to use. Right. So that's another important decision to keep in mind if you're enrolling for the first time or maybe just want to expand the amount of people who can use the account. So, you know, those are all really important things to keep in mind uh, as you're going into your open enrollment period. Um, also, if you're going to be doing, uh, going down the FSA HSA route, um, Updating your bookkeeping is another really important thing to keep in mind. Um, we've always advocated uh, to save your receipts. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of past the days of traditional paper claims and, um, you know, having FSA and HSA cards to substantiate purchases has kind of limited the touch points for that. Um, it's made it a lot easier for people to cover qualifying expenses. but. You still want to make sure that you're on top of all of your documentation, just in case the IRS comes calling, or um, you have to, uh, or if a expense is disputed by your benefits administrator, and you want to have the documentation on hand to be like, "Hey, this was eligible. Like, this is a fair use of my FSA or HSA funds. This is what I should. Uh, you should let me do this." Come there, on. there are lots of people who still swear by the shoebox of receipts. Each one of them itemized and dated, and. You know, while it seems a little antiquated in a, you know, in an era where everybody's using spreadsheets for everything, everywhere, uh, there's still something about having that tactile receipt that can go a long way towards convincing the administrator that it mm -hmm. happened, just in case there's any concerns. So, uh, yeah, sometimes an old school approach is exactly what you need. But if you do choose to use a spreadsheet or anything, make sure you're making backups. Make sure that it's saved somewhere, maybe even backed up to the cloud so that all of your information is ready and you can go in informed and ready to whatever claims and disputes you might have. Yeah, and I think another, um, another helpful backup um, in that vein is take pictures of your receipts. You know, like in addition to having the shoebox of receipts, <clears throat> make sure you have like a file um, somewhere on your computer where you just store all, all the photos of your receipts. And, you know, like let's face it, most of the interaction that you're going to have in with these days is over email. And if, if you're getting an email from your HR department or um, benefits administrator about an expense, you can quickly just you know fire them off an email and be like, "Hey, here's the receipt. I took a picture of it." So you know, that's that's something that can really help you as well. Another thing to consider, is even before the receipts, um, when you get approval for certain things, uh, possibly from a letter from your doctor or other qualified medical professional, yeah. a letter of medical necessity, uh, a lot of times that can get lost in the shuffle. So make sure that you've got those letters documented and saved as well. Uh, mm -hmm. There's been a lot of... Uh, you know services that are on the fence but a doctor yeah. will prescribe it specifically for your personal medical needs and even though it might not be an orthodox way of using a tax-free health care account mm -hmm. uh, that letter of medical necessity usually gets you through so you want to keep special care and attention to those yeah and um, you know in some cases um, some uh, medical services or treatment plans may require an additional letter of medical necessity if it's bridging between two different plan years. So, you know, having the original and being able to kind of go to your doctor and be like, hey, I need another version of this. Can you just give me an updated version of this? Right. You know, any, anything that you can do to make all this stuff easier on everyone in the pipeline, be it doctors, benefits administrators, or yourself, will leave you with less headaches, I think. Yeah, even prescriptions. Actually, we didn't even mention that. Oh, yeah, true. Okay, yeah. prescriptions is huge. You know, as you know, right now, currently, at in this date in 2019, you still need a prescription uh, for an over-the-counter health care product, whether it be cold medicine or allergy medicine 
Well, over-the-counter medicine. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I, this is why I concede <laughs> to you and your greater podcast wisdom. Um, but a prescription for over-the-counter medicine is necessary. So even though you can go into a store and buy Tylenol without a prescription, in order for it to qualify for tax-free spending, it's important to keep those prescriptions. And yeah, it doesn't seem like much money now. But over the course of a year, if you're somebody who uses a consistent amount of Tylenol or Advil or any other product that uh, I'm not going to give free advertising to, uh, <laughs> I do think uh, it, you know that can add up and that can be a considerable chunk of change at the end of the year. Yeah, and you can also, when you get these prescriptions for specific over-the-counter medicines, you can ask your doctor for like a number of refills as well. Yeah. So he or, he or she doesn't have to... Um, fill out another one each time you need a like a bottle of ibuprofen or something like that so um that's definitely something that will kind of reduce the uh work for everyone involved so um you know i think those are a lot of really tangible things that can help um you know first-time fsa users or uh, people who've been doing this for a while really recalibrate for open enrollment you know Go into it with an informed perspective and, you know, take your time. Um, it, it may seem like it's, uh, it's kind of insurmountable with all the different plan options and like convoluted language, but if you, you know, really put in the time and see how it can affect your finances, I think you'll, most people will be in a much better place. I Abby, mean, we can't speak for everybody, but I think it's safe to assume that 15 minutes isn't enough time to compare new benefits options. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, not to be redundant, but it's just too easy to default to what you already know. Yeah. And in reality, there are so many specific situations. I was going to joke at the beginning of the episode, it seems like open enrollment season starts earlier and earlier every year. It's kind of like yeah. Christmas. You know, I believe last year Christmas season started in late July. Yeah. You know, and I feel like, you know, people are complaining that we're jumping the gun on open enrollment, but in reality, all of the research involved and the growth of HSAs and FSAs and all of these different plan options, there's a lot more time needed to do this right. Yeah. Because, you know, this is a full calendar year and it's not as easy as just saying, hey, I'll, I'll fix it next year if this doesn't work. Yeah. You, you know, you have to kind of live with your contribution and live with the choices you make over the next year. And if yeah, we're not encouraging you to have a shotgun wedding just to get a qualifying <laughs> life event. <laughs> I should have put uh, shotgun weddings into the qualifying life event sections, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, so uh, b- before we bring the, the podcast to a close today, um, uh, longtime listeners of this podcast in the past um, would. <laughs> know that we would we would do an eligibility question of the week and those were always fun because um, most of the time Kevin would get them right and then he'd be mad because he would actually have retained knowledge from me and that was like offensive to him but (laughs) so we're gonna switch it up um, uh, for going forward by kind of uh, picking some of our favorite products that are on the site and uh, kind of uh, products that you can use around this time of year so we're getting into fall. It was a, a wee bit uh, chilly this morning in, in New York uh, in late <laughs> September. Um, and, you know, we're, we're past uh, the first day of school, but one of our biggest sellers uh, this month has been our uh, Caring Mill Back to School bundle. So uh, Caring Mill is our private label line of, of health products. Um, we started out with about eight products when it was launched in 2017, and we're going to have about 40 of them by the end of the year. Uh, possibly more than that. Yeah, so um, it's something that we're really trying to grow, and um, it also is 
a really great opportunity for uh, our, our customers to support a charitable cause with their FSA funds, or, or HSA funds for that matter. Um, a portion of the proceeds of all carrying mill product sales go to support the Children's Health Fund, which is doing a lot of great work all over the country, uh, supporting disadvantaged kids and helping them get the health care they need. So the back to school bundle is a really great um, thing that we put together uh, just for this year. And it, uh, it contains a small first aid kit that can fit in a backpack, in a camping bag, anywhere. Um, instant ear thermometer, uh, saline spray, a big box of bandages. I just got this box of bandages and I'm probably never going to use all of them. So, And also a, uh, a cold pack. So it really has everything you could possibly need for a family with kids and uh, can help cover all the bumps and bruises that come with starting off school and getting into a new season. And it's funny, you're worried about your own bumps and bruises. I actually have kids. And uh, so I also chose a carrying mill product this week because I needed it. Uh, I actually uh, bought these not too long ago. And sure enough, when kids go back to school, they bring home a Petri dish full of germs. Yep. Okay, it's, it's almost like a prereq to be in their backpack for the beginning of the school year. <laughs> but um, sure enough, my little guy, he's six, he came home with a really bad fever. And so I actually am going to recommend the carrying mill fever relief sheets. Uh, they come in a six-pack box, and I use two of them, but let me tell you, uh, I probably recommend these for anybody. It's really fast relief from the discomfort of fevers. And please forgive the large trucks that are outside of our window uh, on uh, 7th Avenue here, but it's, it's New York. What do you want? A soundproof studio? This is not. <laughs> but I, At know, least there's not a fire. <laughs> But uh, anyway, the uh, Caring Milk Cooling Fever Relief Sheets, uh, they kind of have a gel in them. So wait, do you put them in the fridge? No, How no. They work? Instant no? cooling. It's, it's, oh. it's almost like those uh, packs you break and the instant cool. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, those are old-fashioned, but they, they same concept. And, yep. you know, cools on contact, and it lasts like eight hours. So I put one on my little guy, and he slept the day away. And let me tell you, he woke up in a lot better place. Oh man! So this combined with children's ibuprofen made it a lot easier on him. But uh, for great. instant relief of the the nasty parts of a fever, uh, definitely carrying milk fever relief sheets. And again, all of it uh, goes back to help the children's health fund. Yeah. And uh, finally, something that does go in your fridge. Um, one of our favorite products that ever since we brought them on is uh, paint cakes. They're <laughs> I just I love saying it. It's great. Um, they are they're essentially little um, circular cold packs, and they have an adhesive on one side, so you can kind of stick them to where you have a bumper bruise or pulled muscle. And um, it's always just been a really great idea. So they came up came out with this new product called a stickable cold pack, and it's a wrap. So it kind of improves upon the idea by allowing you to wrap it around like knee and elbow, anywhere that you need some uh, cold therapy relief, and it will stick in place, and it just works perfectly. I mean, I think it's uh, probably one of our coolest products that we brought in uh, over the past year. I was so. a skeptic when I first saw them. I'm like, it's a flipping ice pack. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew there were innovations in ice packs to be made? But there are. <laughs> there are. And I think the joke with the name initially was because they were round. When I mean, started, it looked like a pancake. looked like a yeah. pancake. Right? So that, that was the joke. But uh, this is more like a sheet cake, <laughs> and it's perfect. But it's 10 inches long, and you wrap it around your legs. And so we gotta got to give a shout-out for this product. We all use it, especially after yesterday. We had a company outing. 
did a lot of walking, and there were a lot more pancakes missing from the office this morning. And the adhesive really works. I think someone stuck one on a wall in our office, and it stayed there for like three months. So it's it's a quality product. There's no no two ways around it. I'm sure that's the testimonial they're looking for. Exactly. That that thing works, man. But. Uh, that's it for us for this month. Um, happy open enrollment, everyone. Um, we'll be back um, at the end of uh, December when we're really going to start focusing in on the FSA deadline. Uh, thank you for Zena Kamak for being our special guest today. And here's to many more great podcasts with uh, Brad as our new co-host. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you all next time. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Podcast Eligible. Remember to visit fsastore.com and hsastore.com for the largest selection of eligible products.